You're listening to The Big Show on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Big Show continues here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. I'm Patrick Dumas. Hope you're enjoying your Tuesday. Calgary Flames coming off a nice 4-3 overtime victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Enjoying a couple off days before getting ready for the Chicago Blackhawks on Thursday. Uh, Another thing that's uh, quickly approaching... uh, the baseball season, yeah. The offseason goes pretty quick around these parts. And, uh, yeah, I know it is still winter, but uh, pitchers and catchers will be reporting here uh, in about under a month, I should say, around Valentine's Day. And uh, it's, we're going to talk some ball here. We're going to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. And we're joined by uh, co-host of the Atlas Letters podcast and Blue Jays writer for Sportsnet.ca, Ben Nicholson-Smith. How are we doing today, buddy? Doing great. Yeah, good to be talking with you guys, discussing some baseball. It's oh, yeah. wild how quickly it uh, it really sneaks up on us here, but looking forward to another uh, season covering the Jays here. Yeah, man, cannot wait. just creeps up on you. You, just, uh, you know, the long winter nights here, and yeah, I cannot wait for, for spring training for sure. And the Blue Jays, they obviously had a, a very lively offseason, uh, changing out a lot of pieces and bringing in some new additions and like Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermaier, Brandon Belt. How uh, we'll get into this here. Like how do the new lineup additions uh, go with the balancing out of this lineup? Yeah, I think it really will give the Jays a different look this year to have three left-handed hitters in there on a regular basis. Guys who are not there uh, in recent years to add Varsho. He can bring some power. Kiermaier probably hits eight or ninth for this team. Mm-hmm. And then Brandon Belt, the last of the three to be added to the team, might have the most offensive upside. And he's a guy who's likely to see a lot of time at DH. He's really good against right-handed pitching and certainly uh, showed that in 2020 and 2021 with the Giants when he was hitting at an elite level. Some of his best production in his career came in those years before the knee injury this past season. So, you know, he's another lefty bat. And this is a team now that, of course, will still tilt to the right with guys like George Springer and Vladdy and Bo who all bat right-handed, but there is a bit more balance going into this season. Now, defensively, with uh, the addition of Dalton Varsho, this, uh, he's going to probably be the, the everyday center fielder with maybe George Springer popping out over to right. How much will that do for just the Jays' defensive game? Because we saw how, how much of it, uh, it impacted them a little bit last year, especially come the postseason. Well, this whole outfield defense will look a lot different than it did in 2022, and should be better. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, at this point, they likely have three guys who could play center field for this team in Varsho, Kevin Kiermeyer, and Springer. And so there are a lot of different ways that they can play that depending on the day, depending on who's DHing and what the pitching matchup is. But they, uh, I think, on a, on a regular basis, will play Kevin Kiermeyer in center, mm-hmm. likely George Springer in one of the corners, maybe right field for Springer. He played a bunch there last year. And then that would leave Varsho in left, mm-hmm. where you know, he would be an exceptional left fielder compared to, you know, what you see um, at that position in, in the major leagues. And, and certainly what the Jays had there last year and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who, you know, he had a great arm, but Varsho is someone who is able to cover a lot more ground and really get to some balls in super athletic ways. So the outfield defense should be improved for the Jays in 23. Uh, with the Varsho addition from Arizona, it was obviously you lose a guy like Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but of course the one that needed to push it over was Gabby Moreno. Is this a is this a move that the Jays might... I, I get it. They had a ton of catcher depth. We saw what Alejandro Kirk can do. Danny Jansen is a, is a, is a, just a genius behind the plate at calling games. 
Is it was it a move that yeah we needed to do this because we know what Gabby Moreno is we know he's our number one prospect but we really need to improve this uh, this outfield and this just get more lefties and it cost a guy like Gabby Moreno are the Jays going to be okay with with a move like that? Yeah, it's you know not a move a lot of teams could make yeah. because like you say Moreno he's a really good prospect and he might end up being an all star in Arizona and. I don't think that would stun a lot of people here in Toronto, um, just given how good he is at putting the bat on the ball and how athletic he is behind the plate, how young he is. All those things point to a successful major league career. But of course, in Kirk and Danny Jansen, the Jays already had two catchers. So if there was any team in baseball that could reasonably consider trading a prospect as good as Gabriel Moreno, it was the Jays. And that allowed them to go and get Dalton Varsho, who is going to be a long-term outfielder for this team, which is a good thing because, Mm -hmm. you know, Teoscar, Lourdes, they were one year away from free agency. Kevin Kiermaier's here on a one-year deal. So they need to have someone alongside George Springer as he enters his his mid-30s. They need someone else who can go and get it and who can provide them with quality um, at-bats from the outfield position and quality defense. And Varsho is definitely capable of doing all of that. Uh, what are what are the bigger stories with the offseason with the Jays? Not so much with uh, additions or subtractions. It's it's the extensions of uh, their two biggest players in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Of course, uh, Vlad Jr. was with the the Jays on the winter tour. Uh, you just said he, some notes. Maybe you want to pass along what what Vlad Jr. said along during the the winter tour during out in Toronto there. Yeah, he was here in Toronto um, last week, and mm-hmm. we we chatted with him. Um, briefly at one of their tour visits. Um, and yeah, when it comes to an extension, Vlad Jr. said, when I asked him about it, he said he's open to it. He said, you know, it's not something that he's crossing off as a possibility by any means, but he said there are no talks that are currently happening. And he's going to leave that to his agents to, to handle that side of things for him. So pretty standard. I mean, that's the kind of response mm-hmm. you hear from players a lot this time of year. Um, and really, the the details are going to be interesting here because, of course, at a high level, the Jays say the same thing. Of course, they have interest in retaining Flag Guerrero Jr. for more than the next three years. What team wouldn't want him as he enters his late 20s and you know early 30s? Those are likely to be very productive years given what we've already seen from him. So he's in a great position. The Jays are in a position where they, they can afford. They are certainly spending like a big market team now. Uh, going past the CBT threshold for the first time in franchise history this year. They are willing to spend money. Vlad Jr. is a logical candidate for it. But, you know, there's there's a big difference between, okay, we would go to, and I'm just making up these numbers, okay, but, you know, we would go to $250 million versus we would go to $375 million. And so where exactly those thresholds sit for Vlad Jr., for the Jays, that's really the interesting question here. Um, and we might learn more about that in the course of the next couple months before opening day. I'll get to Bo here in a second, but like uh, you mentioned, the, the the range there is like a three seventy five, two fifty. Like, would it like a Raphael Devers number around like that three hundred thirteen be like a good starting point? You think for Vlad? I think that it's the best comp. Um, you know, it's not a perfect comp because Devers no. is one one year away from free agency. Yeah, and um, Vladdy is three years away. Um, but certainly you could look to the way the Red Sox endeavors valued his free agent years, which was about $30 million per year. Um, and that could be uh, $31 million per year. That could be a way to value Vladdy. Um, but again, you know, it's so interesting because for, 
for anyone um, in this situation. It's obviously a rare situation, but um, the difference on a practical level between 250 million and 350 million, I, I think it's almost impossible to distinguish between those two numbers. Mm-hmm. But really, it becomes then about what the money signifies. It becomes, you know, it's a very public thing. Everyone's aware of it. It's something you know, that, that matters um, as far as a, a player standing in the game and what that money says about their status as an emerging player. So it, it's it's not just about getting past, you know, $200 million, like you got your mortgage paid, you can go on whatever vacations you want, but there's still a question of, you know, where you fit in the landscape of Major League Baseball. Uh, the Jays and Boba Shett are headed for uh, arbitration talks. They're going to get going here. They'll be anywhere from the end of the month uh, to uh, middle of February. And uh, with the Jays and Bichette, it's the largest gap among all the players. Uh, Jays asking for $5 million, Bo asking for $7.5 million. Is there some concern with that? Or do, the, do you think the Jays can get something here long term? Or is this maybe we'll see what happens and then possibly Bo is a trading piece down the line maybe? Well, you can never say never uh, when it comes to trades in Major League Baseball. Uh, you know, there's there's certainly have been a lot of surprises. I, I don't think the Jays are anywhere close to to really considering that in any kind of serious way because Bo's a really good player and they need really good players to to accomplish what they want to. Um, now we have seen them show some interest in other shortstops, whether it's Marcus Semien, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts. And so that shows that, you know, there's, there's a willingness to consider other options. But to me, that's just because some of the best players in the game play shortstop. So if you want to improve mm-hmm. your overall roster and, and shop at the top of the market, you're going to be adding uh, shortstops, potentially um, some center fielders, some first basemen. That's where some of the best athletes and best hitters exist in this sport. So um, w- with Bo, clearly that gap is significant. And it does reflect that Bo was willing to you know, put himself on the line a little bit, maybe take a little bit more risk on and uh, seek a, a greater reward. So that's part of it. But that is, to some extent, just the business side of the sport. And, um, you know, I'm, until we hear from Bo, it's hard to say exactly where or what this means for him and the Jays. Talking with Ben Nicholson-Smith, co-host on the At The Letters podcast and a Blue Jays writer over at Sportsnet. Uh, obviously, with pitchers and catchers reporting here around Valentine's Day, is Nate Pearson the biggest wild card for the Blue Jays right now? Like, what do they have? Like, what more do they need to see from this guy? Like, what can they, like, what's left for Nate Pearson to do to make an impact with this team? Because it just feels like it's just been downhill, downhill. I know the injuries are there, but what's left with Nate Pearson? Yeah, he's up there, right? And I think that you could say that about a few pitchers on this team. Jose Barrios probably. Um, on that list, just after the season that he had last year, mm-hmm. probably Yusei Kikuchi's on that list as a wild card. Um, and I think Pearson's right up there. When you look at what his stuff can do, clearly he's you know someone who's who's got great velocity, um, really good off speed as well. So it's easy to dream on him. At the same time, he just hasn't been healthy. And so you know, to me, the Jays are in a position now where hey, if he can go out there and give them. 40 to 90 innings out of the bullpen, I think that's good. I think that's a good outcome for them. I don't think they need to worry about him as a starting pitcher at this point, given the injuries that he's already sustained. So in my opinion, he's best suited to be a reliever at this point. And it looks like that's the way things are trending for him. Um, but it's, yeah, he's he's definitely 
um, a big variable for this team as they plan out their, their pitching options for the season. Uh, they they really only added the one pitcher to the rotation this year uh, in the offseason was Chris Bassett coming off a solid fifteen and nine last year three point four two ERA been a really solid starter wherever he goes be it Oakland with the Mets last year what can Chris Bassett do uh, he's probably be the fourth guy in this in this rotation but what what can Chris Bassett do to uh, to solidify this rotation yeah you know he's he's someone who brings a lot of experience um, he's someone who has good command. Um, he's able to, you know, without overwhelming velocity, he's still able to attack hitters in the zone, um, certainly limit walks. And um, he sees himself as, a, as something of a crafty pitcher who can really find ways to adjust to the ballpark that he's in and get the most out of his stuff. So, you know, in an age where not a lot of guys go 200 in- innings anymore, to get someone who probably consistently can go 170 to 180, that's pretty good. So, as you said, I think he's more of a mid-rotation starter for this team. Clearly, they have Gosman, they have Noah. That's a great one, too. Barrios has the upside to be a number three. And if Bassett is a number three or four with Barrios, then you're looking at a top four that really should be among the best in the American League. Uh, Rogers Center renovations. You had a chance to go take a chance, uh, look at the at the stadium and how it's going along. I saw that that dimensions with the right field. It's going to be going to be crazy. How, would give us an update on the renovations, how they're going, and what should fans and uh, people watching on TV be expecting here in a couple months? Yeah, the, it's going to be interesting. I think that the bullpens are going to feel very different for the relievers warming up and for the fans. They're a lot closer to the fans now they used to be kind of um at the ground level whereas the stands were were a level up so there was some natural separation there now this the bullpens have been raised so they're essentially going to be at the eye level of the fans in the bleachers and there are bleachers now in right field where the opponents warm up so should be a really interesting environment um i think that will create a, a different feel for fans sitting in the outfield and, and definitely for those relievers warming up and then in addition to that we're going to see different dimensions for the first time in the history of Rogers mm-hmm. Center with some smaller gaps in the outfield, some higher walls. So it'll be a different experience out there. And, you know, as much as I'd love to sit here and predict how it's going to play, I think it's a bit of an unknown. And the Jays, of course, have tried to map that out and, and come up with a, a system that works and keep things relatively balanced. But even then, uh, it's hard to know until you really start playing baseball there. Is there anything they'd be doing down in Dunedin? Just, I, I, I'm just assuming, like, just guessing here. Would there be anything down they would do at the Dunedin facility that would kind of mimic the new dimensions at Rogers Center? That's a good question. As far as I know, nothing mm-hmm. um, is happening along those lines. I, I think, you know, in more extreme cases, like with the Red Sox and Fenway Park, their spring park does have yeah. the left field wall. Yeah. Um, you know, for the Jays. I suspect that they kind of handle that in the workout day before their home opener in April mm-hmm. and, and figure it out then. But, um, you know, I'll keep an eye out for that in the spring. Cool. Okay. Uh, and it's Hall of Fame Day. Uh, we find out tonight if uh, if anybody's going to be entering Cooperstown. I know it's it's been a tough slog with some names lately, but uh, a former J uh, looking good that he could probably get in. I know we don't remember him much as a J, more of a Cardinal and a Red, but uh, Scott Rowland, uh could possibly be getting into the Hall of Fame. Might be the 18th third baseman to getting into the Hall of Fame. Any thoughts on uh, on the Cooperstown class? If there yeah, is one, Scott Rowland, 
Yeah, pushing, um, which which is pretty interesting. I think he's deserving with the defense and, you know, with you know, just him being an elite player at that position for an extended period, I think he would definitely be a deserving Hall of Fame candidate. Um, in addition to that, Todd Helton, mm-hmm. really interesting. Obviously, you know, the course field factor is, is, especially at the time that Helton played, basically the most forgiving hitters environment in baseball history. But he made the most of it. I mean, you can't deny that he definitely had some great seasons. So Helton's another interesting one. I think Andrew Jones yeah. probably deserves a lot of consideration too. And I don't have a ballot yet. I'm a couple of years away, but you know, that's, that's one where I think he probably deserves to be in along with, of course, Brad McGriff, who's already been selected mm-hmm. and will be inducted regardless of what happens with the vote today. Awesome, Ben. Thank you very much for this chat. We'll, uh, we'll check again and uh, come tra- spring training and uh, all the best, uh, come april much appreciated guys thanks very much and we'll talk soon all right buddy there you go that's ben nicholson smith uh, at the letters podcast uh blue jays writer for sportsnet.ca scott Rowland, uh likely to be uh maybe the one maybe todd helton as well uh former colorado rocky uh getting into cooperstown tonight uh scott Rowland, who was only a jay for a couple of years but i think we all know that uh he was traded for edwin encarnacion uh so that was a, a big get obviously for the Toronto Blue Jays, and then they actually put Encarnacion on waivers. Um, Oakland claimed him, and then they couldn't work out a trade. This was after the non-waiver trade deadline, so you have to put guys on waivers to get them traded. And he was claimed by the Athletics, but the Jays couldn't work out a deal with him. And so Encarnacion stayed with the Jays, and the rest is history. So there you go. A little Edwin Encarnacion story. As uh, Scott Rowland could be getting into the Hall of Fame, probably wearing a Cardinals lid. Uh, once he gets in there as well. Uh, I want to tell you this, uh, the Sportsnet 960 Beer League broadcast is back. It's coming Thursday, February 2nd. That's next week. Uh, Whalers versus the Lushes. I think that's next week, right? Yeah, that's next week. Uh, Yeah, the Whalers and the Lushes outfit in brand new sweaters from our friends over at Tuxedo Source for Sports. Doors go at 6. Puck drop a little bit after 7. If you can't make it out to Winsport, we'll have the game right here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan, Flames alumni Brent Cron and Paul Cruz will serve as officials. And, of course, the fine folks at Wild Rose Brewery are sponsoring. Uh, Wild Rose Brewery is the home for quality craft beer in Alberta. Find it at pubs, restaurants, liquor stores around this great province, or check it out in their tap room in southwest Calgary. And, of course, Ben Nicholson-Smith joined us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline uh, using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Take out or delivery at 403 248 Thirty-three, forty-four.